Well, it's great to welcome you to our service. If by any chance you're someone who is new or you've just stumbled across this online, I should probably say I'm Paul and I lead the church with my wife Becky. And All Saints is part of a network of seven churches in North and East London. I don't know what you've been finding time for during the whole lockdown, pandemic, weird season that we're in. I know a lot of people are um, finding time to do some new things. It seems to me like a lot of us are also very, very busy, but I've heard of people who've taken up things like beekeeping and learning languages. Lots of people apparently have been experimenting with baking. So maybe you've done something new, or maybe perhaps you've just found a little bit more time for things that you're passionate about. Now, like I said, Becky and I, we've been very busy during this season, but one thing we always are passionate about and have time for is reading. Both of us like nothing better than to lose ourselves in a good book. And to be honest, for me, I really like to lose myself in a book. So I often read fantasy or speculative fiction or things that are, they just take me completely out of my world and help me to see things quite differently. Um, I'm not really interested unless a book has about 500 pages. Um, preferably, it's got about 1,000 pages and is a multi-volume epic. That's the sort of thing I like to do. And um, Becky's pretty similar as well. I don't know about you, maybe you read books like that. Perhaps there's something that you're, you're passionate about, that you really love, and it's, you just think, if this, if this series could only be like another six books longer, wouldn't that be great? Now, the only problem with liking books like that is that although some authors can churn them out, you know, one book a year, the best authors seem to take quite a long time between volumes. So if you like, you know, some classy literature, maybe you're somebody that's been reading... Hilary Mantel's Wolf Hall series about Cromwell. And, you know, you got into that, and you read the first book, and then you read the second book. Then you discover that there's actually been eight years between volume two and volume three. Well, that's not very easy, is it? It's even worse, probably, for people that like the big fantasy epic Game of Thrones, um, because he takes so long producing his books. So far, there's been 10 years between volume six and volume seven, and in that time, they managed to conceive, film, and, and show seven series, actually ending the story that he hadn't actually written down yet. That's a long time, isn't it? Ten years to wait. And all, they did all that in the in-between. Um, Becky and I, at one point, were following a series, and we were about ten books in, and um, still a few books to go. And the author died. They had to give it to somebody else to complete the series. Now, the problem with reading books like that is what you end up doing is you read other things in between. Obviously, you can't wait that long for the next thing to come around. But then what happens is when you come back to your favorite series, you know, the one that you really love and you really got into, I find that it's really strange that even though I love this book, you can't remember who the characters are, what's going on, or why people are doing what they're doing. And I find it incredibly frustrating. Now, I've often wondered whether the early church did something a bit like that to us. Whether the early church made a mistake when they put the New Testament together. Now, before you write in and complain that your vicar's gone liberal on the Bible, what I really mean is not that they made a mistake in what was included, but that possibly we, the church, made a mistake in the way that we put the order of the books and the reason I say that is because we often talk about Matthew, Mark, and Luke as being the synoptic Gospels. It means they see things 
from a similar perspective. And synoptic gospels, they're all, I suppose you'd call them theological biography. They tell the story of Jesus. They have a concern for history. They're getting across theological points. But, you know, they're fairly straight in the way they tell that story. And then, of course, we have John. And John's very different. That's why the others are called synoptic. They see things the same way. But John kind of takes a heavenly perspective, an intimate perspective. We get this book of amazing theological reflection and insight. We get lots of private, intimate conversations between Jesus and the disciples where John unpacks the hidden secrets of the kingdom and draws us close. It's a very different type of book. And then obviously, after that, we have the book of Acts. And Acts is another theological history. And what we often miss is, of course, that Acts is the continuation of Luke. But we've read John in between, and I think quite often what happens is we've kind of forgotten what Luke was saying. We're not in a kind of Luke mindset by the time we come to Acts. So we read it as almost as if it stands alone. And I wonder if we miss all sorts of things. And chiefly, I wonder if putting the books in that order means that we actually miss the continuation and the links that there are between the ministry of Jesus in the flesh that Luke records and the ministry of Jesus through the Holy Spirit unleashed into the lives of the disciples that Acts teaches us. Now, when you start looking at that, you see some amazing connections. If we were to go back and not look at the reading that we had today, but go back a couple of chapters into Luke's first volume and look at Luke 24. In Luke 24, it's all about the life of the risen Jesus. It's about how he's meeting the church, how he's walking with the disciples on the Emmaus Road. And when he's doing that, he tells them about the cross, about how repentance will reconnect people through what he's done for us on the cross. It'll reconnect people into relationship with God and it will form a new community with each other. And then Jesus meets with the 12. And when he meets with the 12, um, again, he leads them into some of the secrets of the kingdom. He proves his risen life to them. But he also shares with them the ongoing experience that they're going to have. He helps them uh, uh, to get a vision for how the cross is going to be preached to the whole world, to all nations, this gospel of the kingdom. And he talks to them about waiting for the work of the Holy Spirit, who will empower them and help them to do that. So in both of those little stories in Luke 24, you have Jesus sharing his risen life, Jesus talking about the ongoing life that they're going to experience through the Holy Spirit, talking about how you can enter into that through repentance and the work of the cross. But you also have this. In both stories, Jesus unpacks truth for them through the Holy Spirit in the Scripture. He helps them to understand what has been written. And in both of those stories, you also have a sense of them fellowshipping. Jesus comes to the intimate place in Emmaus. They recognize him when he breaks the bread. And then finally, you have this sense that it all goes flowing out in mission. The gospel gets preached to all nations. It's the natural overflow. The risen Jesus is meeting you and he's going to send your, his Holy Spirit on you, and then it's all going to flow out so that others will know as well. And of course, that's exactly what we see in Acts chapter 2, as David read for us. It all proceeds just as Jesus has commanded and modeled. 
And in fact, there are numerous remarkable points of correspondence between the story of the early church in Acts, particularly in this little summary that we have at the end of chapter 2, and what Jesus was saying in Luke 24, which we might miss if we read something in between Luke and Acts. What we heard from David was it's about the risen Jesus and his continuing presence in the church, the power of the Holy Spirit, people responding to Peter's preaching of the cross, repenting, and as a result, they realize that Jesus is alive and he takes residence in their heart through the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus' presence in signs and wonders breaking out into the community. But the church is also sustaining itself in various ways. We read in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's the word bit of it. And to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. And that's the sacrament side of it, the, the sense in which we can come together around a meal and be fed. And of course, at the end of the reading, it says that God gave them favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. So I kind of see that you have a little pyramid going on. So if we put that on the screen for you to see, we're building back up. So let's think about the life that Jesus models and commands in Luke 24 and that the church lived out in Acts chapter 2. So on this next slide, you'll see it's based on the resurrection of Jesus, repentance and renewal. Can we change to the next slide, please, guys? Resurrection of Jesus, his living presence amongst us. Repentance, restoring us back into relationship with God and making a new relationship with each other possible. And the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. That's the foundation. Your own individual life and discipleship. But then it's sustained in a community by coming together around the word and coming together around the sacraments. And the outflow of that is mission. Now, the issue during the pandemic is that a lot of things in Acts chapter 2 aren't easy or possible, or at least not as we've been used to. It's hard for us to meet together. It's very strange the way that we're worshipping together with this new kind of online experience. It's difficult for us to break bread in the way that we're using, used to breaking bread together. But of course, what we've been so used to is often not what was originally. So we read in that um, wonderful chapter that the early church met in the Jerusalem temple, but also they met in their homes every day. So if you look into the passage in verse 46, it says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's the kind of gathered worship that we can't do during the pandemic. But then it says they broke bread in their homes. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. And of course, that, that local, smaller household expression became the norm for the church as they went out to other cities and also as the next generation were thrown out of the temple and the synagogues because of their faith in Jesus. So let's just look at what the early church does. You go through Acts and this is what you see you see that they met house to house, in homes together. We've seen numerous homes mentioned, the homes of the Philippian jailer, the home of Lydia, the home of Priscilla and Aquila in the epistles. You can go through there and you'll see again and again 
that the early church perhaps had an emphasis on the personal and the intimate, the small home space in a way that perhaps we haven't for some centuries in the larger church gatherings. So maybe, maybe the current restrictions give us the opportunity to rethink our discipleship and to recapture parts of the picture that perhaps we've missed. So I would put it this way, we have an opportunity to recapture what it is to be a disciple, to think about that triangle and to build our life on a foundation of relationship with the risen Jesus, that we're restored in relationship through the cross and through the power of the Holy Spirit, to rethink how we can do word and sacrament in our own lives and in our intimate space, and to rethink what the overflow of that in mission can be. You've got to admit, there would have to be a problem, wouldn't there, if we can't express our worship, our prayer, our service, our giving, or any, any of those parts of our discipleship. If we think we can't express them because we can't have large gatherings, then we've got a problem. And think about large gatherings. Although I love them, large gatherings can make most of us passive rather than truly participatory. You know, most of us are coming and we're attending and we're watching because there aren't that many opportunities for us all to play an obvious or visible part. And as a result, what can happen is that, well, that can leave many of us lacking confidence in spiritual ministry because we just don't get the opportunity to do it very often. We have to leave it to others. So this season is about building back up. Firstly, looking at our own personal discipleship and making sure that we've got those right things in place that we are living the risen life with Jesus that he invites us to. And so we're going to be looking at the life of the disciple and picking out passages from Acts and the early church, looking at the foundations. That will be our theme right the way through this autumn. And then we're also wanting to encourage people, as we have been over the summer, as far as the rule of six allows and whatever the restrictions are this week, and they'll probably change as we go on. But we're saying to people, you know, share this with others perhaps in your household, perhaps in your bubble, or as the restrictions allow for a couple of households to come together, provided there are no more than six people. You know, you know whatever the rules are, let's make sure we use those rules. They're there to protect us, so let's be sensible, but let's take the opportunities that are afforded so that we can engage with our worship and our teaching with others. And the result of that will be that our church is built on relationships and small groups rather than on crowds. And that'll mean when we get back eventually to meeting in the larger gathered crowd, that I think our own personal walk with Jesus will be stronger and our corporate life will be stronger because the relationships have been deepened. But I imagine what a lot of people are going to be interested in is what's the plan to get back to those centralized activities and those public services. So I want to share with you the plan for what we hope to be doing from the first Sunday in October. Now, before I do that, need to say, obviously, everything's changing at the moment. We know that what we are proposing is currently allowed. The rules that have been introduced this week are actually about social gatherings. We have explicit permission. They don't apply to worship or to workplaces. And they do apply to people coming in groups of more than six, so there needs to be social distancing even within this. But as long as people are in little bubbles of no more than six, we can go up to the COVID-safe capacity of our building. Now, we also know 
that some people won't want to or won't be able to safely join us for worship. And in a church our size, we want everybody to know that whatever you choose, whether it's to come to some of the limited opportunities to physically gather, or whether it's to carry on journeying with us online, the emphasis is still going to be on connecting online. Because we're a big church and we can't get everybody in at the same time. And I'd love you to make that commitment and to know that whatever you choose is equally valid and we won't put any pressure on anybody or suggest that anything is second best. We're going to continue to emphasize our online services, but we want, as the opportunities uh, of the restrictions, give us possibilities to open up options for people to gather and worship together. So let's look at this pattern. Well, from the first Sunday in October, we're going to start again with an 8 o'clock communion service. Then we've discovered that the church, uh, part of the church family that's finding it hardest to really connect with all that we do is those with youngest families. Now, I know that the team have been putting out an amazing family worship service every fortnight, but it's only half an hour a fortnight. It's really hard to engage the younger children. It's a heck of a lot of work for the team as well. I think what they've been producing is brilliant, but what we want to do is use that as a model for that group being able to come back and to worship together. Obviously, now that uh, the children and young people are back in school, it seems right that they should also be able to be back in church. Those of us who are adult, we can perhaps be, um, we can be a bit more open to other ways of learning and engaging, but we want to make sure that we're putting in something for younger families. And because the big issue for the youngest families is that often services get a bit too close to lunchtime and to naps for children, we want to bring the service back slightly. So there will be a new family worship service along the lines of what we've been putting out on Saturdays fortnightly, and it will be possible for us to have 60 to 70 people in attendance for that. We're going to bring that to 11 o'clock. As a result, we're going to move our 9.30 Zoom service back to 9.15. And our main, as it were, adult uh, live stream service is going to move from this time to the evening, to 6.30. And that'll be very similar to what you're used to from the 6.30 service. And that'll be the main live stream, perhaps, for most of us during the week. Now, I know that uh, during the week, as well, in other words, not on Sundays, there'll be other opportunities, and we wanted to talk about a couple of them. So for those who prefer to worship in a more structured or traditional way, then on a Wednesday morning, there's going to be a communion service at half ten. We'll make sure that that's got preaching within it, there'll be an opportunity to gather around the Lord's table together, and um, again, we think we'll be able to receive good numbers for that. And then in the evenings, every week, something modeled on our hungry worship evenings. At 8 o'clock, Martin and the band will be leading us in a time of coming into God's presence. We know that it's going to be strange because whenever we come to church, we have to socially distance, we have to mask, we're not able to sing. But what we can do is soak in God's presence. We can worship quietly. And we'll make sure that there's teaching and ministry in that as well. Because the numbers will be limited at all of those opportunities, then there'll be a section of the website. The easiest thing to do will be get on the My Church Suite app, and you'll be able to reserve your seat. Um, if you've come one week, we'll encourage you to leave space for others, but then if spaces are open up, then we'll allow you to book them again 
so that you can come. And we hope that this is just a step back towards what we all hope and long for, which is being able to meet without restriction. But in the meantime, let's be saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to waste this season. This shouldn't be a season where my discipleship is impaired. This shouldn't be a season where I'm not able to learn and grow with you. I have everything and every opportunity that the early church did, and God did amazing things through that church. So as we're being forced into new patterns, let's pray that God would help us to discover better ones. Let's pray that God would help us to get the foundations right. And let's pray that God would help us to build upon them well. Now, as I was preparing for this, I was just thinking about that image of the foundation and the cornerstone. You know, we often are reminded by the scripture and we sing it regularly in our worship that Jesus is a firm foundation, his love. And he is the cornerstone. When you set that cornerstone in place, then everything you build from it needs to remain true because then the wall will be built in a way that's going to be well balanced and you can build something big and wide upon it. If the foundation isn't quite right, the foundation's cracked or if the foundation doesn't go deep enough, if you build out from the foundation and you're not quite true, you haven't quite got the line right, then you'll find problems with the building. And I believe that there's opportunity as we think about our foundations, there's opportunity for God to get us to a place where he can build something amazing in our lives, both individually and corporately. There's been a sense during this time of God calling us back to himself, calling us back to rhythms and patterns of prayer, calling us back to some of the spiritual disciplines, challenging us. So my suggestion would be, just say, Lord, start with me. Show me what I can do as a next step within what's allowed and sensible and safe. And then I think if we do that, the larger, the larger gatherings when they come will take their right place within this pattern. This is going to be a time where God is showing us whether we're perhaps merely attenders or consumers. He's giving us an opportunity again to be disciples. And I think today that's what the Lord's been saying through this service. As we've welcomed and commissioned the interns, as we've welcomed and commissioned Bain and his family and David and his family, perhaps be thinking not about them but about yourself. God's call on your life, what he's asking you to do. And so as we transition into a little time of response now, I just invite you to do that, wherever you are now, to close your eyes, open your hands, just to acknowledge the presence and gift of the Holy Spirit who brings the risen life of Jesus to us. You know, we're called into this because Jesus is alive and through the cross we have relationship with the Father. And Jesus, Father and Son, sends to us the Holy Spirit who renews us from the inside out, gives us the power. The Lord has ordained through his gifts of the Bible and of the sacraments that we can sustain that life together. And that as we give ourselves into God's work, that there would be overflow. Others would see we would have favor with them. They would be open to receiving a message. The gospel would be preached. And because of the life that we as a community are living in the power of the Holy Spirit, the risen life 
of the risen Jesus. That the Lord would daily add to our number those who are being saved. Maybe even today, as people are listening to this, that, that they perhaps realizing for the first time that this, this thing about church, that it's not a thing we do as a tribute to Jesus. It's something we do because Jesus is with us. We're his people and he lives with us. He walks with us and talks with us. And as you're thinking about your own discipleship, if in any sense you think, you know, I'm not where I was with God. Perhaps you're thinking, you know, when the service is closed down, I kind of lost all the structure I had. That actually going to church on a Sunday was was really important in my spiritual life. And perhaps once that prop was kicked away, I, I didn't have the personal or small group life to sustain a living, healthy, growing, flourishing relationship with Jesus. Then just acknowledge that. There's no judgment. Instead, the Spirit is giving us opportunity to get our life back, to get those foundations right, to build on the first principles. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to bring us all to that place of a fresh beginning, founded on your love for us, acknowledging your risen presence with us every moment of every day, not just an hour a week when we gather. Leading us into the Word, helping us to break bread and acknowledge your presence amongst us. So Holy Spirit, I ask you to lead us on. And as Martin leads us in worship, just come back, come back to your first love, a new beginning with the Lord Jesus.